Good morning, church family. I pray you are all well. And before we begin, I would just like to say that it has been wonderful to speak with so many of you this week. But I miss your faces. I miss seeing you guys. Thus, I hope our time apart helps us to long for the grace that we receive when we as a church body can gather together. But until then, church, let us be comforted by God's word together this morning, shall we? This morning we will close Ephesians chapter 3, and really we are going to close the first part of this letter called Ephesians, as we will be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where we will see Paul's beautiful doxology, his beautiful words and expressions of praise. Now, I did wrestle with the idea of having this text be part of our sermon last week, but I didn't, because in light of the pandemic that is spreading throughout the world, in light of the fear and hysteria that is slowly creeping into our society, in light of the chaos that seems to be knocking on our door, I wanted to remind you this morning that God, he is still in control. God, he is still on his throne. God, who when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, gave you the grace needed for eternal life. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. God who predestined you for adoption, God who chose you, brother Christian, sister Christian, God who sent Jesus Christ to redeem you, to forgive you, and to unite you, God who sealed you with his promised Holy Spirit and made you one with Christ, one with himself, one with each other. That God, he is still God, he is still good and he is still on his throne and when we dwell even for a millisecond on who God is we should instantly put into a place a mindset overwhelmed with humility due to all the work that God has done in our lives and that God church even in the midst of a pandemic is always 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 worthy of our praise which takes us to our thesis this morning, or the two main themes we will be looking at in our sermon this morning. And our thesis statement is this. Praise be to our infinitely abundant and omnipotent God forever and ever. Again, our thesis statement this morning is praise be to our infinitely abundant and omnipotent God forever and ever. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 3. We are in verses 20 and 21. And even from home, I would highly recommend you following along in your Bibles this morning. Again, we are in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The Apostle Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, that in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of this crisis that our country and the world is going through, you, Father, you reign sovereignly over all of it. And we praise you, Father, for who you are. You are God of the universe, and you are God. And you give abundantly more than we can even think or ask. Lord, help us to trust you more through this pandemic. Help us to trust you more when we are not able to gather as a church body. Help us, Lord, even midst, in the midst of the chaos around us. Lord, that you be glorified with all that we say and do. Father, I pray that you empower this dear church family listening this morning. Give them a zeal to glorify you. Open their eyes, open their ears, soften their hearts this morning to the text. Father, I pray for your help as well this morning. Send your spirit. Give me the words to say. Help my lisping, stammering, sinful, selfish tongue. And let you be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one is that our omnipotent, our all-powerful God can do far more for his children than they could ever imagine. Our omnipotent, our all-powerful God can do far more for his children than they could ever imagine. Verse 20 It reads, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now, if you remember from last week, Paul prayed for these Ephesian readers, and he prayed for them this way. He prayed that their inner beings, that their spirit might be strengthened. He prayed that they understand and they comprehend more and more the love Jesus Christ has for them. And he prayed that they be filled, in verse 19, with all the fullness of God. And overall, it's a pretty bold, and some might even say brazen prayer from Paul. That these Ephesian readers be filled to the brim of their human capacity with all godliness, with all the fullness of God. And yet, not even for a second does Paul blush here. Not even for a second does Paul think, you know what, with this prayer, maybe I might have gone too far. This prayer, maybe, just maybe, it's a little too big for God. And why? Why does Paul not blush or blink here for a second while praying this prayer before God? It is because, church, as Christians, we have been called by God himself to pray. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, bring your request before God. 
Colossians 4.2 says we are to devote ourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we are to pray without ceasing. We are a people who have been called to pray, to seek the aid, the help, and the wisdom of our Heavenly Father as we sojourn through this sinful world to our eternal destiny, to our eternal home, to eternal salvation. And you know what? Matthew 7, 11 says, God loves to give good gifts to his children. That is why Paul does not blush here as he prays this bold and brazen prayer. But too often in our prayer life, we forget as Christians who we are praying to. And I don't mean that we don't remember who we are praying to, or it slips our memory, or we draw a blank. But instead, we too often fail to realize that as Christians, when we pray, we are praying to Almighty God. Verse 20, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Let that sink in for a second. The God we pray to is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Our God, the God we talk to, the God we pray to, the God we appeal to about our needs, about the coronavirus, about our health, the salvation of our children, our sanctification, the forgiveness of our sins, that God, he is able to do abundantly and infinitely and profusely more than our finite minds could ever imagine. Adam Clark, he summarized it this way. He said, we can ask every good of which we have heard, every good which God has promised in his word, and we can think of or imagine goods and blessings beyond all that we have either read of or seen. We can imagine good things to which it is impossible for us to give a name. We can go beyond the limits of all human descriptions. But after all of that, God is still able to do more for us than we can ask or think. If that does not bring comfort to the soul of the Christian this morning, I do not know what will. Thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, I will lovingly ask you this morning, who do you pray to? Do you pray to the omnipotent, the all-powerful, the all-abundant God of the Bible who gives his children more than they could even think of? Or do you pray to the God that you have made up in your mind? The God who you believe maybe isn't all-powerful. The God that you believe maybe does have limits. The God who you believe maybe does give you reason to doubt when times get tough. Because that, if that is the God you pray to this morning, then lovingly I want to call you to repent. Because nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible for our God. Tony Evans shared the story of a young man named Danny Simpson. Where at the age of 24, he robbed a bank in Ottawa, Canada at gunpoint. He robbed a bank of $6,000. Shortly after, he was captured. 
The real tragedy, though, of this story was that the weapon he used to rob the bank was a 1918 45 caliber semi-automatic Colt worth $100,000. Danny's problem was that he didn't understand what he had in his possession. If he had known, he probably wouldn't have chosen to be a thief, since what he had in his possession would have given him so much more. Church, Paul is closing chapter 3, and really the first part of Ephesians, with a doxology, with words of praise to God. But church, we cannot praise God as we should and give him the glory as we should if we see him as a little God, as a God who is less powerful and less desirable and less abundant than what we can perceive from our finite minds. Church, the God we pray to, he is the source of all power. He is the eternal source of beauty. He is the eternal source of abundance. Thus, we can pray to him for who he really is, and that is God Almighty. But how do we know this to be true? Where is the proof that God can do abundantly more than we can ask or think? In essence, Paul says, look at what God has done in your life, Christian. Look at what God has done in your life, brother Christian, sister Christian. Or verse 20, according to the power at work within us. Church, where does Paul's confidence in the power, in the infinite power of God come from? Where can our source of confidence in God's power come from? It can come according to the power at work in us, the power that saved us, the power that is sanctifying us, and the power that will glorify us. Church, consider Paul's conversion for a second. From persecutor of the church to apostle to the Gentiles for the expansion of the church. It was God's power working in Paul that did that. You see, that type of narrative from persecutor of the church to apostle, it does not naturally grow or it does not naturally evolve in our finite minds. But here is the thing, as Klein Snodgrass points out, God, he does not fit the limitations of our expectations. No, he is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. Think about it, church. God took you, your sinful, depraved, dead self, and made you a new creation. He gave you a new eternal life, an eternal inheritance, and made you an heir with his son, Jesus Christ. As Tony Morita points out, in one millisecond of prayer, God can do more than we could ever do in 10,000 years of planting. We as a world, the smartest individuals on earth can plan for years on how to flatten the curve of this pandemic. And in a millisecond, God can wipe it off the face of the earth. Church, we can plan and scheme and organize and design whatever we want. But unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it will labor in vain. Thus is this the God you pray to this morning, church. The God with the power to do abundantly more than we could ask or think. Because that is the God of the scriptures. That is the God of the universe. And that is the only God now and forevermore worthy of our praise. To him be glory in the church and 
in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21. It says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Which brings us to our second point this morning. God will be glorified through the church and through Jesus Christ forever and ever. God will be glorified through the church and through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Sit back and feel the weight of that for a second. That God will be glorified through the church and through Jesus Christ forever and ever. What a call. What an honor. What a privilege to be able to glorify God with our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, asks this. It says, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer to that is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God. That is our chief end, church. That is our goal. But there is a unique nuance here in the text as it states that to him, God, be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ. We see Paul here displaying a little bit the binary workings or the complementary nature of God. You see, as John Stott pointed out, God desires glory in the bridegroom who is Jesus Christ, and in the bride, the church. God desires glory from the community of peace, who is the church, and from the peacemaker, Jesus Christ. So why does God bless the church with every spiritual blessing? Ephesians 3.1, as Paul prayed last week, so that the church then can demonstrate the power and the love of God given to them by God so that God can be glorified through their actions. So the church can demonstrate the power and the love of God given to them by God for His glory. You see, the more God gives power to the church, the more the church should showcase the power of God and bring glory to His name. The more God gives wisdom to the church, the more the church should showcase the wisdom of God and bring glory to His name. The more God gives comprehension of his love to the church, the more the church should showcase the love of God and bring glory to his name. But please, please, please do not miss this point. The only reason that we can bring glory to his name as the church, as the people of God, is because we were saved, verse 21, in Christ Jesus. It is Christ Jesus as the only one who redeemed the church. Christ Jesus is the one who was the sacrifice for the sins of the church. Christ Jesus is the one who died for the church. Christ Jesus is the one who was raised for the church. Christ Jesus is the one who appeased the wrath of God toward the sins of the church. Christ Jesus is the one who offers new eternal life to the church. Christ Jesus is the one who gives eternal salvation to the church. And it is Christ Jesus who will unite 
every member from every tongue, every tribe, every nation of the church under his authority. Thus, you better believe glory to God in Christ Jesus for his work in saving, cleansing, redeeming, and reconciling the church. Glory to God in Christ Jesus for his work in saving and cleansing, redeeming, and reconciling the church. And for how long is God worthy of our praise? Verse 21, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. How long is God worthy of our praise? Forever. Or your translation might have age of the ages or of all ages. But either way, God will be glorified by every generation and through every age forever to come. Forever, meaning continually for all future time. Now, I don't know about you, but this pandemic has really forced me to see firsthand our, our human limitations, if you were, our human constraints, our human finiteness. And as great as our technological and medical advancements are, Psalm 90 verse 12 still says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, that we might get a heart of wisdom. Brother Christian, sister Christian, our days on earth, they are not forever. They are not certain. We, brother Christian, sister Christian, we are not great. We were not made to be glorified forever and ever. Michael Green told this story about Louis XIV of France, who died in 1715. He wrote that Louis called himself Louis the Great and made the infamous statement, I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in Europe. And at his funeral, which was a spectacle, his body laid in a golden coffin To dramatize the deceased king's greatness, orders had been given that the cathedral should be very dimly lit with only one special candle set right above his coffin. Thousands waited in silence. Then Bishop Massillon went to speak, but instead slowly reached down and snuffed out the candle, saying, only God is great. Truer words could not have been uttered. Thus, this is Paul's crescendo here, if you will, in chapter 3 and really for the first part of Ephesians. And it goes something like this. Christian, with an understanding of what our identity is now in Jesus Christ, 
that we are now one with Christ. We are citizens in God's kingdom. We are children in God's family. We are stones together in his temple. We are at peace with God, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ through eternity. With that understanding of who we are now in Jesus Christ, and with an understanding of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that God has redeemed us through Christ, forgiven us of our sins, united us via Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, and we are now under his headship with that understanding of who we are and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The church's only response then in every generation, past, present, or future, whether in this age and in this world or in the one to come, our hearts should only be able to cry out, glory, glory, hallelujah to our God for who he is and for his accomplished work in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Because only our God is great. Only our God is great, church. As we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who is listening. First off, to the non-Christian that is listening this morning, thank you so much for listening. It is an honor to be sharing God's word with you this morning. But as we open this morning in verse 20, we learned that God has the power, non-Christian, to work in you. He has the power to change you, to take you out of wherever you are, to take you out of whatever you are struggling with, to take you out of whatever you have convinced yourself to believe, to take you out of whatever worldly lust and idols that you love, to take you out of wherever you are at today. Our God, he has the power, the abundant, never-ending, forever-flowing power to raise you to new, eternal life. no matter your past. And this is the power of God. God came into the world. God came into the world. He broke into the world as Jesus Christ and he took on flesh. Jesus Christ, he was truly God and truly man. And he came into the world to destroy the sin problem, to destroy the death problem, and to reconcile his children back to himself. And how did Christ accomplish this? By living the perfect life. Jesus Christ, he lived the sinless, obedient, righteous life that our first father, Adam, never could live and every following man, woman, and child never could live as well. And Jesus Christ is a perfect, sinless, and righteous being. He was not only faithful to the law for us, he not only fulfilled the law for us, but he paid the price we owed for breaking the law. He paid the price for our sin. Jesus Christ paid the wage. He paid the cost. He paid the price for our sin with his life. He willingly bore the wrath of God the Father for the sins of his children. And Jesus Christ, he was crushed. He was crucified, and he died on a cross at Calvary. But the power of sin and death was nothing compared to the power of God. And three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. 
as proof that he was God, as proof that he was sinless, as proof that he was accepted as a sacrifice on our behalf, and as proof that we as Christians can be raised to new eternal life as well. And what must we do to be saved? We must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and today you will be saved. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sins, that you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone as the only one who paid the price for your sins, the only one who can forgive you of your sins, the only one who lived the life you never could and can clothe you in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. And if today is the day you believe, non-Christian, this is the power of God. Romans 6.4, it says that we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of light. That we can walk in newness of life. Non-Christian, let today be the day that you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day that you can walk through eternity in newness of life. And to the Christian that is listening this morning, I don't know about you, brother Christian, sister Christian, But I left this passage in all of the fact or in all of the phrase, to him be glory in the church. God is glorified through the church. The same God who is able to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. The same God who gives power and strength and love and blessing to the church. He is the same God who receives glory from whom he has saved and redeemed and united. And if we were to be completely honest this morning, it seems as though far too many churches out there seem more concerned with glorifying themselves or glorifying their own brand than the God that they have been called to serve. And fearfully, I wonder at times, is this ever us? Do we ever do this? Do we at Faith Bible Fellowship Church in York ever praise ourselves over glorifying our Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we praise ourselves over the fact that we are a small and local church that is orthodox in their teaching or expositional in their preaching? Do we praise ourselves for that instead of giving glory to God? Or do I ever do this? desiring to add more members, to pastor a bigger church with a band and more more robust ministries, just so I can say, I'm the pastor of that for my glory. Church, this always has and always will be a very real temptation. And if this is you this morning, you must repent. If this is us this morning, we must repent. And we must recognize, church, 
we must realize, we must understand that we as a church body have been called to bring glory to God's most holy name. Not to ourselves, not to our pastor, not to our church leaders, not to Faith Bible Fellowship Church, not in how we do church, but to God alone. Because church, as Christians, as the redeemed, there is no greater honor than glorifying our master. There is no greater honor than glorifying our creator, our Lord, and our God. And as the church, we bring glory to God when we, as the church, act like the church. We glorify God when we call each other, when we are unable to meet. We glorify God when we pray for each other as a church body. We glorify God when we Help our children understand the sermon that's now on Facebook or now on video or now on our TV. We glorify God when we sing together as a congregation or as a family. We glorify God when we invite and we welcome visitors and friends and non-Christians to worship with us. We glorify God when we study and meditate on God's word. Thus it must only be to him be, to God be glory in the church in all that we do. That is our chief end. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body, as Faith Bible Fellowship Church, united by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we bring glory to our omnipotence, God's name. Our God, he is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask, than we could ever think. He is a God not of our own imaginations. He is not a God of our own design, but our God, he is God. He revealed himself to us via the scriptures, spoke the world into existence, and is sustaining it through the power of his word. Our God is the God who changed us and made us new. He displayed his abundant power in us, taking us from death to life, from law to grace, from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. Thus, as we worship as a church body, let the word on our tongue, let the thought of our mind, and let the praise of our hearts be not for man or self, but to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We can glorify God only because we have been saved by his abundant power. Our God is the only one in whom the church shall ever cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Therefore, church, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, do all to the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that the words of our tongue, that the thoughts of our mind, Lord, that everything that comes pouring out of our heart is one that glorifies you. Father, you can do abundantly more than anything that we could ask or think. You are always worthy of our praise. Whether we are in the midst of a pandemic or we are in your presence through eternity, you are always worthy of our praise. You are a God who's called us, who has saved us, who has redeemed us, who has united us as one body. Thus I pray for this dear church. I pray for all the individuals listening. 
Convict us, Lord, not to seek glory for ourselves, not to seek praise for ourselves. And if we do, call us to repent, Lord, and give us a heart that is focused on glorifying you. To God be the glory. Amen. Our benediction this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, in verses 19 and 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace, church.